What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the For the Bird podcast, and once again, I'm your host, Ron Gaeta. My guest today is the lead singer and lead guitarist for the band Anti-Flag, Justin Sane. Justin talks about the early Pittsburgh punk scene and how that influenced him to start Anti-Flag. We run through every Anti-Flag album, and he gives us his favorite songs from each record, going into detail about what each of those songs is about and why they wrote them. He obviously shows a bunch of Pittsburgh love, and he also gives us his thoughts on politics being a topic of conversation in the world of sports, music, and other forms of entertainment. Enjoy, guys. Nope. Guys, today I have Justin Sane from Anti Flag. He's also a, uh, a fellow Pittsburgher, fellow Yinzer. That's that's pretty cool. Uh, I've had a few Yinzers on the show actually: Scott Blazy from the Clarks, Chris Kirkpatrick from NSYNC, Mike Ranico from the Devil Wears Prada, and now Justin from Anti Flag. What's going on, man? Thanks for uh, joining the show. That's what's up. Yeah, it's good. It's good to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, so where, where we get these started usually is just kind of get into some earlier musical influences. Uh, when you decided you wanted to play music for a living, or when you knew that that was actually a possibility. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I mean, speaking of being a yinzer, I mean, in punk, my really early influences for anti-flag came from the local bands around Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh, you know, back in the early 90s had like a real explosion in the punk scene. Um, and I'd been going to shows since like the late 80s. And, um, you know, so... Things in Pittsburgh for punk and and kind of around the country for punk were kind of dead. Um, and then all of a sudden, in kind of like the late 80s, early 90s, there was sort of this infusion of energy and uh, uh, the punk scene and punk music. And Pittsburgh had like one of the most kind of, I would say, like energetic punk scenes around the country. Um, and because of sort of the... Uh, you know, I attribute it to the working class roots of Pittsburgh um, and the economic devastation that Pittsburgh had gone through in the 80s with the mills leaving town. Um, you know, most of the music was political mm -hmm. and um, that and witnessing what happened with the first Gulf War. That's what influenced the anti-flag to start as a band and for us to, to choose our name. Um, but I, I was interested, though, in all kinds of music growing up. You know, I was the youngest of nine kids. So, wow, yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, being being uh, a, the youngest of nine in Irish Catholic family, you know, um, it, it all of my brothers and sisters were into different music. So I grew up listening to everything from like The Clash and The Sex Pistols to Kiss, and Bob Marley and John Denver. You know, I mean, it was so all over the place for me growing up musically, and I liked all of it because I just yeah. grew up around it. And um, and then, of course, my dad is from Ireland, and both of my mother's parents are from Ireland. So um, Irish culture was so a part of our family. So um, Irish folk music was a big part of my growing up as well. And I don't know if anybody listening to this grew up going to the Irish Center 
Uh, but I did the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Irish Center. My dad was even president, I think, a year <laughs> nice <laughs> when I was a kid. So, I mean, our family was really steeped in Irish tradition and, and uh, Irish music. And of course, you know, I think that that lent lent to anti like being a political band and that most of that Irish folk music is political. It's about being oppressed. Um, so it's about, you know, it's, it's about fighting for your liberty and your freedom. Um, so, uh, it, it's either that, or it's a love song. Like Irish <laughs> music is a music of extremes, you know, it's like, it's like, ah, oh, we're either oppressed by the bastards or I'm, I'm desperately in love, you know, it's, it's, it's right. one or the other. And I, you know, I think being like a younger teenage kid, when I was starting Anti-Flag, um, I went towards the angsty part. <laughs> nice. Um, so something that I do with uh, pretty much all the guests now, uh, whenever it makes sense, is just like a little album run through. I know you guys have a bunch of albums, so you, you don't have to. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's just like a, a little story behind the recording process of each album. Sure. And um, your personal favorite song from each one. You don't have to do too, too much here since you guys have yeah. a bunch, yeah. a bunch of albums. But uh, we'll, we'll start from the beginning here. Uh, Die for the Government. Well, I, Die for the Government, you know, it's kind of interesting. Like a friend of mine the other day said to me, he said, how does it feel having written a, um, a, 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 a I want to make sure I picked the right word, but I, I think he said, how does it feel having written a classic punk rock anthem, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of crazy in a way, like... Uh, I, and for that reason, I kind of have to point to Die for the Government as the song from the record. Like, it, it's the most famous anti-flag song to date still, yeah. you know, like, and it's crazy. Like, my brother moved to Amsterdam and lived in Amsterdam for a couple of years, and he heard Die for the Government blaring on the street one day, and he kind of walked around the corner, and there was a, a protest, and they were blaring Die for the Government. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. You know? Yeah. And, like, so it's it's kind of incredible to me that that's been such an enduring song, especially considering the fact that it was off of our first record. And, you know, it's even people who don't know the band well or sometimes really at all, when we play that song at a festival, everybody sings that chorus. It's kind of awesome. it's kind of crazy, yeah. Like so, you're playing a festival for like ten thousand people, and <laughs> maybe half those people don't really know your band. But when we play that song, especially overseas, people know it. So that's sort of and it's been an enduring song, and to me, it's an important song because for me personally, it's important because the song was written about the fact that our government has a lousy track record at caring for its its veterans you know so and and i always tell people i can't ever encourage anyone to join the military and the reason being is that i don't believe we can trust politicians with the lives of our military folk and you know you you, you just see it over and over again and i think the iraq war is just such an incredibly good example of a war that was based on on lies and you know a lot of US corporations and 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 you know I would I would say kind of economic elites they made a lot of money off of that war and even though it was considered a failed war um, the the end result you know the, the goal of the war in my point of view 
was for companies like Dick Cheney's Halliburton, for example, to make a lot of money. And they made that money off of the 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 sweat and tears and blood of U.S. military personnel. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people, you know, they want to join the military because they want to do something altruistic for the country. I, and I think that that's respectable. But I think there's other ways to do altruistic work in your community other than joining the military. And I wish I trusted our politicians with the lives of our military men and women. I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I, I was interested to see where you're going to go with that one. Either die for government. There, there's a couple more on there. Either uh, drink, drink, punk or uh, yeah, fuck police yeah. brutality. I was like, I, just, I want to know which, which one he's going to pick. But that's awesome. Right. right. Um, cool. Next one here. Uh, their system doesn't work for you, which had songs from a uh, split album you did before this titled North America yeah. Sucks, plus some right. newer songs on this one as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, these were kind of songs that didn't make it on to die for the government, basically, right. for one reason or another. Um, there's a pretty I, I'm pretty sure your daddy was a rich man is on that song uh, or on that record. Um, it, it's a pretty funny song. I, I just made up the lyrics to that song off the top of my head while tracking it it was just like a one take thing and the goal was just to be as obnoxious as i possibly <laughs> could That's funny. and i think i achieved it pretty well um so I, I, one thing that's kind of crazy about that song and the lyrics to that song um well one being that i just think that the song kind of fits donald trump so well and i how could have i known 20 years ago right but but there is kind of a you know that song was basically written about somebody that i knew who was kind of like a spoiled rich kid and um you know they were always kind of going on about how great their dad was because their dad had made all this money and in my point of view you know they had a lot of uh a lot of help and a lot of legs up that other people just don't get average people don't get um and i you know so it's just amazing that donald trump kind of fits into that category pretty well oh yeah <laughs> next one here a new kind of army uh you know I, in retrospect um i actually really enjoy the song captain anarchy you know it's just kind of poking fun at the punk scene i mean even anti-flag's guilty of it. I mean, anybody who's ever been a punk is guilty of being the punk police, you know? Yeah. And, um, but when we wrote that song, you know, it was really kind of a reflection of where we were as a band and the fact that we were so enveloped in our own scene and really just, it's really interesting, I think, when a band starts out, how a band is so insular within its own music scene, whether it's punk or hip hop or, or heavy metal or whatever it is, you know, there's a subculture in that scene and there's politics within that scene. And that's a big part of kind of what that song is about. And I, and anti-flag in the early years, very much, we were focused on kind of critiquing the punk scene because there was a place where we liked existing and where we found a lot of inspiration, but like every kind of community, it was, there were flaws in it. We kind of wanted to point out the flaws and try to make it a better place to exist. So now moving from the 90s into the 2000s, uh, Underground Network? Yeah, um, well, Underground Network has um, this machine kill fascists on it, mm -hmm. um, which is like one of my more favorite songs to play live. Nice. Um, and I think a song that's endured really well 
Um, so I would point to that one. It's also got Angry Young and Poor on it, um, which is, you know, just a, a song about, uh, you know, the way I think a lot of young people feel, especially nowadays. It's really interesting to me how that song resonates because there's a lot of young people who feel like the future isn't going to be better for them and they, they kind of feel left behind by the system and, you know, whether it's just a dead-end job or whether it's having a lot of college debt or not being able to afford to go to college because it's so expensive. Just the idea of not being able to, to better your circumstances and feeling left behind by society. And uh, it's a big part of what that song's about. And, uh, you know, and I think musically the song kind of is kind of rocking. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving on, next one, Mobilize. Yeah, well, Mobilize has 911 for Peace on it, which is also sort of one of our more famous songs. Um, and, uh, you know, to me, it's like, it, it, it has like, musically, it, it's got like the guitar riff that it opens up with is, is something that's kind of classic anti-flag. Um, and, um, of course, the song was written like, in within weeks of 9-11 happening um and you know we sort of had a whole nation just wanting vengeance and we just wanted to be really careful about what the response to 9-11 would be and that that was our statement and and trying to say you know we want to be thoughtful about this and not only is it important for us to mourn it's important for us to understand why we we are where we are and and try to correct some of those those errors uh that our foreign policy has let us down into and unfortunately i think that you know the u.s just kind of continued to write down a destructive foreign policy yep. uh hole from there so um but yeah that there's, there's a lot of written there's a lot around that song that um that was you know kind of folklore and anti-flag world uh we released the song for free um, on the internet, which was pretty new at the time to do something like that. Yeah. And we had like a hundred thousand downloads, like a real, in a very short amount of time. And it, it, it crashed the servers and, <laughs> uh, it was, this would have been before all like the bear share Napster and all that, right. Or maybe right around that time. Yeah, I guess so. You know, it, it was either if, if Napster was happening, that wasn't something that we were savvy enough about. Right. To, to say like okay let's just put it out there and ask people to share it through napster and that kind of thing it still might have been a little before that i'm not 100 percent sure but uh next one here one of my favorite uh anti-flag albums the terror state yeah the terror state's actually my favorite anti-flag really? record nice. yeah for a lot of reasons um i think uh the first two songs i can't remember what the third song is but it, it's turned into here. Post-war breakouts, the third one, but yeah, Turncoat. Oh right. yeah, gosh, yeah, that lineup of those first three songs, oh, Turncoat, yeah. uh, um, Rank and File, and post post-war breakout. That's like pretty epic. Um, but but Turncoat um, is to to me like a, a really special song, just in the way that it opens acoustically and the guitar lead and the pre-verse and. Um, and it's just so reflective of how, you know, where things were at the time. I mean, we were 
end of the Iraq war, a lot of people felt like, I mean, a lot of people opposed that war. I mean, it's something that not everybody remembers. There was a huge anti-war movement around that war. Um, and a lot of people felt like the, the war was waged on misinformation and lies. And Turncoat, I think, kind of encapsulated that and expressed that in a way that really resonated with a lot of people, even myself, when I listen back to it. I'm like, yeah, that that's exactly how we were feeling at the time. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, and and it's still probably one of the more popular anti-flag songs when we play out. Nice, yeah. That that would be a hard one for me to pick either Tongue Code or uh, Rank and File. I, I think I would say Rank and File though. I, I like that cool. one. Cool. The the, the cool. next one here also would be a hard one for me to pick, but uh, for Blood and Empire. Yeah, I mean that's a really hard one for me to oh, pick. Yeah. <laughs> just in that I feel like honestly like that was our best songwriting, you know. Um, and we we really hit a peak in songwriting at that time. Ron, this so, time you guys are having a lot of stuff on like uh, I'm gonna get to this later, but like video games, you have stuff on like Madden and NHL, yeah. all that kind of stuff. I mean, right, right. Well, there was like a at that time in the band's history, there was a whole new level of commitment to the band, you know, where we'd all we we'd seen with with the terror state that we had reach and that we could have some influence and we took that serious, you know, because that was why we started the band. We hoped that if we, we started the band and we said some things that were important to us, that they would resonate with other people. And once, you know, when, when, the, when the terrorist day came out, we really saw that that was a real possibility. So with, um, for blood and empire, there was a real recommitment by everybody to the band and a lot of energy put into it. Um, as far as picking a song goes, I think the most popular song is probably This Is The End. Um, yeah, I think probably. for me, the, and, and then followed by The Press Corpse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, like, I'm going to pick Hem For The Dead. Um, nice. Yeah, because it's, in a way, it's a sad song, but it's also a tribute to uh, people, you know, kind of lost souls and and people that have been exploited and people who have been left behind or people that nobody really cares about and and i and i and i mean that like globally you know i mean not just the homeless people on the streets of the u.s who i think like those people are really worthy of having their stories heard and 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 people understanding how you know what they've gone through in life but also you know, people like in particular, we were in the Iraq war and I was really thinking about the Iraq war a lot. And I just thinking about like, what would it be like to have your home bombed? You know, what would it be like to have nothing, you know, to have your family killed? And, yeah. um, and I just wanted to show some solidarity with people who have suffered. And so, and, and then I guess musically, I think that's a really interesting song like for anti-flag. I think we kind of, we, got over a new peak with that song just in that the the guitar lead in the intro and there's there's a trumpet that plays in the middle of it like i again a lot of ways for a punk song it's kind of a beautiful song yeah i think mine from that one would have been one trillion dollars i guess oh dope okay (laughs) cool that 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 makes me happy no that's always i I love that (laughs) next one here uh the bright lights of america yeah bright lights is by far my favorite song on that record nice um and uh just has a great energy to it i don't know if anybody's ever listening but if you you know 
we made a pretty fun music video to that song that's worth checking out. Uh, we made it with some roller derby teams out in L.A., and uh, that was really fun. Um, there were some pretty good goofs that didn't make it into the video because we didn't have time. We didn't have the budget. <laughs> and uh, I, every time I watch the video, I'm like, this is really cool, but it could have been great. And I'm always a little <laughs> I'm always a little disappointed when I think about those things The the video also that's pretty cool. If people don't might not pick up on it, but Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine is the coach of the roller <laughs> derby team. And Boots Riley from the coup plays his assistant who's That's handing awesome. out water. Yeah, so <laughs> that, that was a pretty cool thing that those guys came out and uh, jumped in the video with us. Oh, yeah, that's real cool. Um, next one here, the people of the gun. Uh, well, the economy is suffering. Let it die um, is is probably my favorite. I mean, I and and it's really apropos to what's happening right now. I mean, where COVID is just exposed capitalism as being an economic system that just isn't sustainable for all people you know and it's it's a system that leaves a lot of people at risk and uh it's incredibly inequitable you know and and so you know there's been a lot of sentiment now uh, not only around racial justice but economic justice with covid because we can see that you know, people who are essential workers are not being compensated the way they deserve to be compensated. They're not being protected the way they need to be protected. I mean, we we do need people to check out owls, but they they should be the first people to make sure that they they have uh, the protection that they need and that they're oh, for sure. being paid right. And so it's um, you know, I think that that song's pretty apropos to this time, and it's I think it's a cool it's a cool song. I I. As the guitar lead guitar player in the band, I always <laughs> I gravitate towards the songs of guitar leads, and I like the the guitar riff in the beginning of that song. I've also noticed that the majority of these so far have been your 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 favorite tracks have been either track two, and if it wasn't, then the, the other ones have been track one. Is there? Do you put these uh, together or on the album? It's a good question. I think that early in the record, we usually put our best. We try to put our best songs right. So. Yeah. Um, especially in the old days, because right. in the old days, like that was how people experienced music. So, um, but th yeah, they were usually like the most favorite song. Next one, the General Strike. Yeah. Oh gosh, did I get? I'm trying to remember if yeah, General Strike. Um, I think that 1915 is my favorite song off off General Strike because uh, it's a tribute to workers and, you know, it's a real tribute to Emma Goldman and, you know, people who really just fought for basic human rights. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing, like being in the city from Pittsburgh where people forget, like, you know, there was a time where people worked six hours a day or six hours a week, 12 hours a day. And yeah. even my own grandfather struck for a dollar a day and a, a five work week at the Heppenstall mill over in Lawrenceville and got, you know, beat down by police on, on horseback for his yeah. trouble, you know, and it's, it's really interesting to me that, you know, we, well, I guess I would just say that, you know, organizing labor is really important and we, mm. you know, we're, we're at a, low point for laborers in the U.S. and the division between working people right now 
is the weakness I think in, in working people. Even when you you look at people working tech jobs, I mean, some of them are making great money, but look at the hours they're working. They're literally like always working. Right. And you know, we kind of have this. We we've been kind of brainwashed into this mentality in the U.S. that we've always got to be working. I kind of was hoping that if any if there was like a silver lining that came out of the pandemic, it would wake people up to the idea that you know maybe we shouldn't be addicted to work and that there's other things in life and who knows maybe maybe we'll get there <laughs> hopefully yeah. um the next one here was this set up to be like a like a two-parter here american spring and american fall or did it just kind of happen like, like it, it be just like that? it did just happen that way <laughs> um i gotta give that one to doug dean who did the artwork and like I think the artwork on our last three records, American Spring, American Fall, and then um, Help Me Out on our last record title. 2020. Um, 2020, thank 2020 you, 2020 vision. vision. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you that. Just it out. You're gonna... <laughs> it's, been, it's been a long pandemic. Been... <laughs> um, yeah, Doug Dean is a graphic artist and graphic designer who, who did the art on all those records. And um, you'll, you can tell, like he yeah. thought them through and they're, they're really special. Um, and so, you know, we had ideas that we brought to him, but he always takes our ideas and turns them on their head and makes them incredible. And uh, but he after we released American Spring, he was like, hey, the next record should be titled American Fall. And we're that's like, awesome. wow, the double entendre <laughs> makes a lot of sense. We really like yeah. it. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh, you know, there's a song on this record um, that number two wrote that is a it's a sleeper probably for most people um but it's probably it, i don't have the track list in front of me do you by any chance have the track list i do yeah i, I was just gonna say i'm gonna i'm giving you props here for being able to do all these albums without you have so many of them and i didn't tell you what we were doing before uh before we were doing this so a, a no lot of guys have, a, a lot of guys have to look at the uh have to look at their itunes and stuff but right you're, right. you're doing an awesome job awesome. um so did you want me to just read them off or do yeah you... please because i there's one it's a, probably like middle of the pack towards middle the, end of the pack this. yeah we'll go starting from five here walk away song for your uh song for your enemy oh, song so, for your enemy yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> that's that's an incredible song um and like it's a song that's so emotional that it, it actually like gives me goosebumps when I hear it, you know, and 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 I didn't have anything to do with writing it, so I can kind of give it props without sounding too <laughs> douchey or like um, you're allowed to give, like your give stuff. Him, Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I do. I like our yeah. music, but but I don't want to sound like too ridiculous. No, you're good. Uh, that's why. That's um, why I do this because I like to hear what the artists think about their stuff and what and what they like from their yeah. own catalog. But <laughs> yeah, cool. Well. But yeah, I mean, that's a song that really, I mean, Two just wrote, you know, and taught it, taught it to us. And, um, you know, I may have had a little input here or there, but not really. Um, and it's one of my, it really is like on that record. It's just like my sleeper song. Like it comes on like this is my jam. I guess the other song that's actually really cool on that song um, that I think is kind of a sleeper is uh, Break Something Today. Nice. So just like we mentioned, American Spring, the next one here, American Fall. Yeah, I mean, this one is such a tough choice. Um, I mean, it, it honestly, like, I think has so many, like, diverse and interesting kind of songs on it. Um, one that a lot of people ask me about is... Um, is uh, 
finish what we started. Um, really cool song, but I kind of have to go with American Attraction. Nice. Um, I know it's like the lead-off single off the record, um, but we kind of took a chance on that song, and we did it because we wanted to, and we kind of just... It's one of those things where sometimes I think that there comes a point where you're, you've been a band for a really long time and you want to experiment and you're like, if we experiment, how will people feel about this? Will people like it or not? And it kind of, I think sometimes bands get afraid to take that leap and just say, we want to do it, so we're going to do it and be damn the consequences kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and you do it for your own creative outlet you know with american attraction especially like putting a um <clears throat> the my, my lead vocal is distorted and um you know we were we, we it was a treatment that our friend stevie who helped produce that song he put on the vocal and when i heard it, i was like man this is so sick and i i just was like we have to keep it and I think we all felt that way, but we also were like, man, people are, I don't know how our audience is going to react to this. And it took time like for the audience to come along on that song. But ultimately, like now I have people tell me all the time it's their favorite song. So nice. I'm kind of glad that we rolled the dice on it. I thought like it was a leap of faith for us and creatively it's, it's, it's a different, a different bit, uh, path than anti-flag has taken in the past. And, mm-hmm. um, we were just at a point where we were like, we just needed to try, try and grow a little musically. And so I'm kind of glad that, that we did. And, and, and the song is a statement about everything that has happened under Donald Trump. And it kind of all came true, which I'm sorry to say, but right. it, was, yeah. it was, it was pretty obvious where we were headed. For sure. <laughs> Last one here. We, we, we did it, man. There's, there's a bunch here. So uh, 20, <laughs> 2020 vision. <laughs> Wow. Um, I really like, uh, do, 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 what's the second to last song on, on the record? Second to last. I was going to say it was you either. For, sick. Well, that I, my, I was going to say mine is either you make me sick or un-American and un-American's the last, the, the second to last one. Okay. Yeah. So you make me sick is my favorite song. Yeah, I, I would one. have to say, um, actually, you know, it's not, I take it back. It's, uh, it's, it's hate conquers all just, just for the guitar riff alone. I mean, it just is so rocking. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't write that guitar riff. So again, I can, <laughs> I can, uh, add, you know, blow a little sunshine. I just think like that, that song just really rips and playing it live. You know, we only got to play the song live for, for gosh, one tour. Yeah. And yeah. then, then, then everything shut down and, playing it live was really special like it it and i'm sorry that we didn't get to do it in north america because um we we started touring on on 2020 vision in europe and then we came we started our north american tour and then everything shut down so but yeah i'll go with uh hey conquers all that i think that's probably the best song on that record nice uh so you've been doing a bunch of uh quarantine covers is what you're calling it right yeah Um, did yeah. you, you have a handful of installments of those. Can you want to tell us a little more about that and uh, how people can find those and listen to those? 
Yeah. So obviously with the pandemic happening and so my dad is 86 years old and my mom passed away a few years ago. So I'm kind of been in charge of taking care of my dad for various reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, which is great. I'm grateful that I can do it. Um, it, It's it's nice that we have this time. Um, but I've had to be really careful about what I can do in public, obviously. Um, and, and he does have a pre-exposed condition where if he, you know, getting COVID for him would be really bad. So, um, yeah, so I just, you know, obviously at the beginning of the pandemic, I playing guitar a lot and I just had kind of time to play in a way that I don't normally and so I just started learning covers because it it was fun and it took my mind off of things I was feeling pretty stressed out and um as time went by I was like wow I these are these are pretty interesting I bet people would like to hear these so um I had done one or two of them on on a live stream on anti-plagues live stream on Instagram and Facebook and so I thought it'd be interesting like I throw a couple of these up and just see how people respond so um, I just recorded them at home and, um, I, I made a website called just insane music. So it's just like my name, just insane music.com. And, um, just kind of explaining like, we're a band. That's how we make our living. We're not rich guys. We've made a living at playing music, but we're, you know, we need to earn money like everybody else. And, um, so, you know, for people that, that would be willing, you know, the songs are there for free. But if people are interested, they can also make a a donation um, towards helping me keep the lights on. Um, And, you know, I just also hope that, you know, maybe the songs would help some people in the way that they've helped me. I mean, I've I've found that um, just having some community through the band's social media, through my own social media, um, just connecting with people, whether it's through music or in other ways that it always feels good, you know, especially like sometimes you in in these times you can feel pretty isolated even when you're even when you're out in public. I mean, because people, you know, just there is kind of that in the back of your head, like having to be careful all the time. How much can you really interact with people? What can your social interactions be? What's safe? What isn't? There kind of is that that stress. Um, so. Yeah, so I, I recorded a handful of songs, and I've just been adding to them slowly. Um, I recently just finished one here that uh, that I'll be releasing soon. And, uh, yeah, so they're up on, on the site, and people can, can check them out. Like I said, they're there for free, so people yeah. want them. I don't want people to be excluded because they can't afford to make, you know, they can't afford to buy it. Um, one thing I will tell you that's kind of funny about all this is, like, I'm a t- – I'm – I'm pretty good in a recording studio and like as a producer, I'm really inexperienced as a sound engineer. So I had to like learn it all and figure it all out. Which was nice. like, so, so the Perfect quality, time to do all that though, for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and I, and I was like, well, if I'm going to be, you know, at home a lot, I would like to come out with, some kind of skill from this yeah, definitely. show that's cool yeah so so i definitely taking like a negative turning into a positive i've learned a fair amount of things and but it was funny like i didn't even have like a laptop to run the 
the software on i had nothing so like i borrowed my sister's laptop i borrowed some mics from a friend you know like it, it was just all kind of um the whole you know you would think i've been in a band for so long that i would have all that stuff and have that skill and i'm kind of embarrassed that i that i haven't had it up to now but um it's it's been really fun and and liberating because it, it is something i've always wanted to learn so in that respect it's pretty cool yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I'd like to talk about some um, collaborations you guys have done. I know you put out a couple split albums uh, before, and then you, you had a song with uh, Billy Talent, I think that was on, yeah. um, I think it was on NHL 09, Turn Your Back. That was an awesome yeah. song. I want to talk about some of that and uh, w- working with those guys and uh, B- Billy Talent specifically. Yeah, I mean, for people who aren't aware of Billy Talent, they're one of the biggest rock bands in the world that America doesn't know about. They're so um, good, too, yeah. Yeah, they're incredible. I mean, a great song to start with for billy talent is devil in a midnight mass that's up there uh, i think that's off their second album i want to say yeah billy talent too i mean yep yeah and their guitar player ian DeSaw, he's like one of the best guitar players in the world um he um again that america doesn't know about right it's, yeah. it's a very strange thing where that band never broke in america um, but they broke everywhere else. So, and they were kind of in the punk scene as younger guys and the hardcore scene. And so we met them. Um, we met them playing on Warp Tour. They did a couple Warp Tour dates in the U.S. And um, but they were on the radio everywhere around the world, basically, except for America. So it's pretty interesting. Like you go to Germany and they're famous, or yeah. you go to the U.K. and they're famous, and you go to you know, New York, and they play for like 400 people, maybe. You know? yeah, so that is crazy, though. Their whole first album, start to finish, is just great. Line and sinker, all that stuff. I, that, that's crazy. They never caught on like that here. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 incredible how like they're such an incredible band, and they're they're you know they're they're punk guys, so like their ethic has always been super cool, and they you know we just clicked right away when we met, um, and I always love their music you know they have an amazing stage show but they're you know i think that their music is just it's a little quirky for america and america Mm -hmm. just never took a you know especially american radio rock radio just didn't fit that creed model enough and they just he has a different voice that's that's true for sure but yeah it's really good though yeah yeah and so live they're incredible uh definitely worth everybody should be a billy talent fan and check them out the, the way that song came about actually is pretty funny. Um, we were playing a festival in Belgium together. And I remember that their bass player was like listening to a song on his, you know, I think at that time it was like a, it was like a Sony Discman, you know, <laughs> I don't think it was an MP3 player. I'm not sure. Maybe it was, it was probably an iPod, but <laughs> Um, I saw him listening. I was like, yo, man, what are you listening to? And he's like, oh, we're working on this new song. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. We should work on something together sometime. And I never thought anything more of it. And all of a sudden, I got a message. It was like, yo, dude, here's that song we're going to do together. <laughs> that's awesome. And, and that was how it came about. I, 
I just was like, ah, oh, it'd be cool if we did something together someday. I didn't mean that song or. <laughs> Wait, or, what, was it that song he was listening to that was? It that was literally that song. Awesome. Like, yeah, they had a demo of it, and he was like, you know, think. I guess he was like listening to it and trying to think of ideas for it, and um, he. So it was literally that song. That song. And, That's yeah, so that was really cool, and it was. It was really cool collaborating, collaborating with those guys. It's cool too that one of the lyrics that they they use the word mate as in like mm-hmm. friend in that yeah. song, and um, I just think that that's interesting that in Canada they've kind of kept that part of that of English culture, like British culture, mm-hmm. where they still use the word mate. And I I remember like singing it and I was like, oh, this is a weird lyric to me because we just don't say mate in yeah. America. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, it, it is a it's a really cool song. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the show is called For the Bird, based out of Pittsburgh, PA. Here, I'm sure you knew that, obviously. Um, <laughs> so I'm sure you have a bunch of these. When I ask other guys, it's kind of different because they're just kind of passing through. But uh, any your favorite venues, a uh, bunch of show memories, I'm sure, and any cool show memories or some of your favorite places to go out while while in town. In Pittsburgh or outside of Pittsburgh? In in Pittsburgh, sorry. Oh gosh. Well, I mean, there, there really are quite a few of them. Like, I think that, you know, when I was young, obviously, like I said, I have a lot of older brothers and sisters and stuff. So they all kind of went to, you know, especially like the punkier, like clubs or bars in town. Um, and so Gooskies was a place like I'd been going since I was really young. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many ways, like it's never changed and I love it. And it's so Polish Hill. Um, and it's just a place like every time I walk into, I'm like, this is where like this, I immediately feel good about the fact that I'm here. And this is so Pittsburgh because yeah. it's what it's always been. <laughs> and nice. I just, I just really appreciate that. Like it reminds me of all the things that I like about Pittsburgh. Awesome. So that's it's definitely a dope place. Obviously, like Spack Brothers Pizza um, is a place that uh, we frequent a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I I will like say, and I I've kind of been been kind of challenging myself, like because we tour a lot. When I'm home, I generally don't go out a lot. And um, interesting, interestingly enough, in this upcoming year, I was like. I'm going to push myself to go out a lot more when I'm home. And uh, then the pandemic happened. So it's kind of interesting that that happened uh, in that way. Um, Who would the biggest Pittsburgh celebrity, uh, who would be the biggest Pittsburgh celebrity that that you've met? Well, I mean, I'm a huge Franco Harris fan. Nice. Um, Yeah, I mean... I actually ran into Franco walking out of the bank about two or three years ago. And it was so dope because um, I saw Franco coming out and I was like, fuck, dude, that's Franco. That's awesome. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not going to bug him. But I just it was just like a thing like you would see one of your buddies or something. I opened the door for him because I saw him coming. and I was going in. He was coming out and and he goes. Hey, thanks, man. I go anytime, Franco. And we just kept going. And I was like, that's so sick. Like, I just, you know, cross paths with Franco Harris like that. Um, all the old Steelers, you know, like, I grew up kind of like, those guys were so, 
there was such a mythology about all of them to me. Yeah, yeah <laughs> um, sure. And uh, so, you know, the Steelers of the 70s, I love the fact that Franco is in the airport next to George Washington. Like, mm-hmm. to me, that's exactly how it should be. Um, I have a friend who was wearing like a Buffalo Bills cap in the airport somewhere. He's like a touring guy. And he said, he texted me. He's like, dude, I just ran into Franco Harris in the airport. And so I called him. I was like, what happened? He's like, well, I have my Buffalo Bills hat on. And he's like, it's super random that I'm wearing a Bills hat. He's like, I don't even like the Bills. (laughs) And and he said, and Franco was walking by and he saw my hat and he just said to me, wrong fucking team. And he kept walking. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's real funny. I was like, that's what's up. I so, was wondering. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, but um, I, you know, other than that, I mean, I guess I could go on about old Steelers forever. Um, but that's sort of you know, uh, growing up as a Steelers fan, I'm I'm still there. Even I was though gonna say, are you are you are you still a Steelers fan or, or a Pittsburgh sports fan in general? I, I am, but I take it about 1% as serious as, as I did when I was younger. Yeah. Um, you know, just, I, I mean, I, I realize in, in later in life now that athletes really aren't people that we should put on a pedestal and that we should, you know, we should look to uh, generally, you know. Right. I mean, there, yeah. there are exceptions. Um but um, I, I do think that it's there is a place for, for politics and sports because obviously sports has a lot of eyes on it. So I, you know, when you look back, at, you know, an athlete like Muhammad Ali and, and you look at the things that he was saying about race and about war um, and you realize like, OK, he was a visionary and he actually was a civil rights leader. And, uh, you know, at the time he was not praised for his words, you know, much like. Martin Luther King wasn't praised at the time for a lot of the things that, that he said. He was really out of step with mainstream America. And you look at Colin Kaepernick and you're like, wow, that guy was on a fucking island and shunned and blackballed from a whole league. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, I remember people, you know, bashing him in sports media and saying that he's, oh, yeah. he's, he's not a civil rights leader or icon. And, you know, well, clearly they were wrong. Yeah. Um, so... I, it, 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 Pittsburgh, obviously, it's like such a hardcore sports town. I try to make sports something that is something that I enjoy with other people, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and it's not so important to me whether the team wins or loses. Of course, I want the Steelers to beat the Browns every time they play them. <laughs> right. <laughs> there are certain things that I'm never going to let go of, but uh, but in general, sports is something that I try not to get too hyped on. Right, makes sense. Sticking with the uh, Pittsburgh theme here, what's your favorite Pittsburghese term? I think Don. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're, you're Don. the second one on here. I think Mike Hranica from uh, Devil Wars Prada also said, like, putting the A-H, like, Don, Tan, all that kind of yeah. stuff. <laughs> oh, actually, though, that's going to be second, because leaving out the verb to be. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I had no idea that that's, that was Me either. Thing. 
Same. I thought that was just proper English. <laughs> yeah, and then p- people would tell me as I like as I was getting older, like you know that's not how you say that, right? Like right. Need, need, needs cleaned. No, yeah, needs that to needs be washed. cleaned. <laughs> yeah, right. needs washed. Needs to be washed. <laughs> right. <laughs> needs needs cleaning maybe, but needs to be cleaned. That's <laughs> I didn't know either. Yep. Yeah, I had that's no funny. idea that that wasn't real or that wasn't proper. So, and I mean up until maybe like eight years ago. So I, I it took me a while and. And whenever I learned it, I learned it by listening to a conversation very much like this <laughs> and thinking to myself, You're like, oh, oh shit, I'm doing it all wrong. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I, was, I was really shocked. So that's, that's, that one's great. That one's really cool. Um, so you obviously know what the term jagoff means. Sure. Obviously. I ask every guy on the show, totally up to you, however you want to answer it. I'm batting about 500 here, but, um, Meeting so many famous people. I mean, you, you've been in this huge band for a long time now, uh, either on tour or just how, however it would have gone down. Uh, anybody that you would have met or you were excited to meet that turned out to be a Chagoff? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know the <laughs> reputation of Gene Simmons from Kiss. I, oh, I didn't really? know anything about it. So when I met him, I was stoked. I mean, Kiss is one of my favorite bands to this day. And like, you know, growing up as a kid, my brother's favorite band was Kiss. So, like, we listened to Kiss all the time. I mean, I was listening to Kiss, like, since, you know, God, I don't know how old I was. I probably was, like, like six, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I got to meet, uh, you know, Gene and Paul right before they went on stage. We were backstage at a Kiss show in Berlin. Um, and I, you know, walked right up to Gene Simmons. <laughs> I was stoked. And he just was a total dick. Um, so that, it was kind of funny. It made me laugh. I I actually felt bad at the time because I didn't realize, like, they were literally going on stage in, like, two minutes. Oh, really? And <laughs> Yeah, and that's a terrible time to approach yeah, anybody. Yeah, but still, you know? yeah. Yeah, and, and so if I had understood that, I honestly wouldn't have walked up to him because it's, it's stressful right before you go on stage. And two minutes before you walk out on the stage isn't a time that you want some fanboy coming up and... And like, hey, I'm so excited to meet you. Can I get a picture with you? Like, like, yo, man, not a good time. Um, but he was like incredibly rude, like beyond rude. So it was pretty funny um, in retrospect. And then I learned like, oh, Gene Simmons is actually like a total asshole. Um, I didn't know that. After the show, though, I did. Th- this whole night was actually like a pretty cool night of meeting childhood celebrities because um after the show, we did get to go back to Paul Stanley's hotel and hang out with him. Nice. And that was really dope. We just hung out in the uh, in in the um, lobby of his hotel, and like we a, a, a number of people sat around in, in a circle with him and talked to him. And he was great. Like he was really really nice. And I still remember like a number of things that he said about like being in a band and like just advice that was really cool um Mm -hmm. but one thing that happened that i thought was really like talk about like sports and it all coming full circle when i was probably like 12 boris becker had like exploded onto the wimbledon scene um as a tennis player and that particular summer i just happened to really be into tennis and wimbledon so i was a big boris becker fan and boris becker came up who is german he he came he had his assistant go up to paul stanley during our visit kind of if you want to call it that 
and ask for a picture with Paul Stanley. And Paul Stanley said, I'm sorry, maybe later. I'm talking to my friends right now. <laughs> and, and I couldn't believe it that he turned Boris Becker down. And um, I don't think he knew who Boris Becker was. Right. I, I promptly excused myself and I went and got a picture with Boris Becker. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was really cool. And yeah. uh, it was kind of funny because I had to sneak and get a picture with Boris Becker because because Paul had like turned Boris Becker down. I didn't want to flaunt right in front of him that I wanted a picture with <laughs> Boris Becker. So That's funny. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Couple of uh, fan questions here, man, and then, and then I'll let you go. Um, sure. First one: Do you or anybody in the band have any weird superstitious pre-show rituals or anything like that before taking stage? Yeah, everybody except for Chris Head. Um, Chris Head is just like whatever he's doing, and then he just goes to stage. It's pretty amazing. I've never. It's it's. I've, I've encountered few people that like can just go to stage like Chris Head. So to me, that in itself is a skill and very impressive um number two works out before our show which is crazy yeah he he has like a calisthenics regimen that he does and then he brushes his teeth and then he's ready to play um and it's crazy though because i mean if you've ever seen us live like how much energy number two is on stage he's he's already done a workout before (laughs) he goes on stage i don't know how he fucking does it i guess a lot of red bull yeah. And then um, I just mine, I just stretch and warm up my voice, you know, but I, I do that really religiously uh, because I struggle with my voice on tour. Um, and uh, and Pat just always is he has a box with his drum drum sticks in it and his drum pad. And he's just religiously in front of that box. And <clears throat> Pat, if we have like a backstage dressing room, you'll. If you're looking for the garbage can, I guarantee you it is what Pat is using as his stand underneath his box. And it's really annoying because, you know, if you you go for the garbage and the garbage can is gone because Pat stole it. So that's 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 the anti-flag before we go on stage. Nice. Uh, Next one. What band have you seen most live as a fan? Not on tour with, but as a fan. Oh, geez. I mean, to be totally honest with you, I see almost every band when I'm on tour because that's when I go to see bands. Um, gotcha. Trying to think of a couple. I've gone out of my way a fair number of times to go see Billy Bragg. When I've toured with Billy Bragg a little and luckily and got to see him in, in that setting. But I actually have gone out of my way to see Billy Bragg uh, when I wasn't on tour. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is kind of, again, like when I was talking about like trying to get out more in Pittsburgh when I'm home, I had also kind of made the decision that I was going to start traveling to go see shows because a lot of times people come through Pittsburgh, I'm not here to see it. Right. So, um, I kind of had like a short list and I was like, I got to start traveling out to see bands in the next year. Cause you know, I, I'm. I'm a fan and I don't get to see these bands ever. So, um, but again, pandemic. So, right. Yep. Hopefully soon though. Um, next one, if your band could tour with just one other band for the rest of your career, uh, who would that band be and why? 
Uh, hmm. <laughs> I get everybody on this one. You good? Yeah. <laughs> I I think it would be flogging Molly nice. because you know I mean the first time I heard flogging Molly I was on Warp Tour and I heard this like Celtic rock band playing like echoing out into the world and I was like what is that <laughs> and I went and I saw it and they were amazing and I and just growing up with my background in Irish music and I I. I was hooked and then and then I got to know them and like to me I always say like Flogging Molly's not a band Flogging Molly is a lifestyle like yeah. that band is 100% in that band um and they're they're just really kind people and they're fun and uh they're good drinking buddies nice. and uh yeah like <laughs> and I and I can watch their set every night like they're so incredibly good uh as musicians as a band they're so tight like and it's i've never seen such drunk people play (laughs) such an incredible set like it's i've literally watched them when like some of the members are like sort of wobbling back and forth on stage and they (laughs) don't miss a note it's that's awesome (laughs) fascinating (laughs) that's crazy (laughs) it's honestly like one of the craziest things i've ever seen so yeah i just i've never not enjoyed being around them backstage or uh watching their set like it never gets old for me Nice. Uh, last one here. Um, you touched on it a little earlier, uh, talking about how um, politics, like ha- having a place in uh, like sports and stuff like that. Uh, but we see a lot of people uh, post things like, oh, celebrities, athletes should stick to blah, 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 do whatever. What do you uh, personally feel be- being in a band that obviously since day one, I mean, you, you have a lot of political, if not all political uh, messages in a lot of your songs. Uh, whenever you hear people or see people saying stuff like that, like oh, musicians should stick to this and play music, what, what stupid stuff like that. What, what do you feel and what would you like to say to people that say stuff like that? Well, I mean, I, it's a really a personal choice for people to want to express their opinion or not. And, you know, I think that it's, it's valid for everybody, regardless of what they do to express their opinion and then people can decide whether they have you know whether they agree with it or don't i you know i i I don't think your freedom of expression stops just because you put on you know a jersey for a, a team or you know uh because you you know you regardless of where you work or what you do you know i mean mm-hmm. it's it's your right uh to to say the things that you believe in and um you know it's i think in a in a large way like just using colin kaepernick as an example people want most people especially like for example professional athletes like they just want to focus on what they do right like they want to go play the game and be really focused most people don't want to take that focus away and they don't want to put themselves out to to make a statement and when they do make that statement it's usually because there's something incredibly wrong and the colin kaepernick thing is such a great example i mean we you know we all know now if we didn't before after watching the horrible george floyd video Mm -hmm. that you know police violence towards black and brown bodies in this country it's an epidemic and it's a huge problem and it 
and it's one that needs tackled. So, um, so, you know, if people have a platform and they're willing to use that platform, I, I've always been in favor of that. And obviously that's why I started the kind of band that I started. And, and, you know, if that's not your cup of tea or that's, that's not your flavor of, of what you're into, that's okay. You know, you can look away or you can go somewhere else. And, um, so that, that's my attitude about it. And I mean, I will say that like playing in a political band, like it immediately turns off a certain percentage of people and quite often a large percentage of people. So like, Mm -hmm. I understand a lot of people, they're not, that's not what they want in music. And that's, that's cool. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that, but that's what I do. And so if they are interested in, in what we do, then that's great. But if, if not, then there's a lot of other music out there for them. For sure. Awesome. And that's all I have. Uh, do you want to, do you want to say or uh, plug anything like that before, before we get off? No, this is great. I'm really glad you're doing your podcast. It's, it's totally cool. You know, I, I really enjoy being a Pittsburgher. I always have, you know, um, I think we have some work to do in our community. Um, obviously, you know, um, definitely a big supporter of the fact that black lives do matter. Mm -hmm. And, and it's important. I mean, we, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of evidence lately that's showing that Pittsburgh is a city that really lags behind in um, in areas for supporting African-American people. And so, you know, I think anytime that, that we can make people aware of that and start to come together as a community to address those issues, um, I think that that's important. I, you know, it's kind of interesting though, cause I, I, I will say like, I think even in some ways, Pittsburgh is a small town. It's an insular town. It doesn't, it's not always open to change, but I think that Pittsburgh's also a friendly place and a kind place with a lot of really great people in it who ultimately I think believe in fairness. And, and that is something that, that gives me a lot of hope that, you know, generally when I deal with Pittsburghers, uh, people are go out of their way to be friendly, which I think is a really special quality of our town. And, um, you know, we are in Appalachia. We do have rednecks and we're going to have that, but, um, but, you know, I think that there's a lot more good in this town than not. And that, that to me gives, you know, just actually being from this town actually gives me some hope, um, even though we're, we're living in some pretty rough times right now. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Word, but I'll tell you what, I, it's awesome that you're doing your podcast. It's been really fun talking to you. Yeah, and, man, that was um, awesome. Yeah, if I can ever help you out, definitely please let me know. I'm always happy to pitch in. Thanks, buddy. Have a good hey, one. Good to talk to you. Have a great one. Take you care. You as well. Nope. Mr. Pop.